This morning, my brothers and sisters, we have one of those passages from the scriptures that will tempt you as listeners to automatically turn your ears off as soon as you hear the first few words from our passage. Now, this isn't because you hate the Bible, and it's not because this is one of the most intense topics that you could ever talk about in the scriptures. No, the reason that your mind and your ears may be enticed to turn off from this section of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, is because it specifically only addresses four people in our church. And if you're not one of those four, you may deem this text to be irrelevant, and some of you have mastered the art of sleeping with your eyes open for the next 31 minutes, and so I would encourage you to not do that this morning, but to know that this passage, though it's specifically addressed to the elders in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, it is still incredibly relevant for every single one of us in this room, whether you are an elder or you are not. This is about Jesus' heart for his church. This is a way to see the compassion of Christ as he establishes elders in the church to extend his care and his love to us as his people. And so these four verses, what they're going to do is they will help us comprehend the love of Jesus more clearly as we think about these verses. They will give us a better understanding of what a godly elder is and what a godly elder is not. They'll actually also help us as a congregation to expect things from our elders. They will show us what we can expect from those godly elders. And then not only that, it will show you as a church how to pray for your elders, how to encourage them and how to spur them on into the work that the Lord has called them to. So this passage isn't just for elders. It is for the entire congregation. So to help show the relevance and the practicality of this, I want to show you guys the big idea up front. I'm not going to wait till later. Our big idea this morning is this. Godly elders are given by the chief shepherd as a grace to his people. That is our big idea this morning. If we took these four verses and we had to boil them down, that would be the main point that Peter wants us to get. That godly elders are given by the chief shepherd as a grace to his people. So with that, beloved, I would ask that you would grab your copy of God's word and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, if you haven't already. If you're using the Bible in the chair in front of you, our passage can be found on page 955 this morning. Friends, I want you to hear now these words of God that were given to instruct and nourish your souls in this life. These words have been given to nourish and instruct your souls all the way to the life to come until we can see Jesus face to face. And so church, hear now the word of the Lord from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Let's pray together and ask the Spirit to give us wisdom as we seek to understand His Word this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, You are the Good Shepherd of the sheep who, throughout the ages, has continually shown Your care to Your people by supplying us with Your presence and leading us into Your salvation. You brought the Israelite slaves out of bondage with Your mighty hand. You led King David by anointing him with Your Spirit and giving him Your heart. You've given us words of restoration and life through the prophets that call us to forsake the kingdom of darkness and to run back to you. In all of these acts of redemption, you display your heart and your affection for the sheep of your pasture. This morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work understanding within us, that we may feel that comfort and the leadership of our Savior all the more. Let us see the purpose behind your ordinary establishment of elders as it leads us into your extraordinary love and renewal. Bless us as your church, I pray, for the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, has one of the most difficult ordination processes in the entire world to become a pastor or a teaching elder in this denomination. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife and my poor kids that were buried under a stack of flashcards for a couple of years. There are so many things to memorize and to think through and to do. Now let me give you a 30,000 foot view over what the ordination process typically looks like for someone as they are coming to be a pastor or what our denomination calls a teaching elder. This is, this is a 30,000 foot view of the process. First, you need to become a member of a church, of a PCA church, and you need to be a member in good standing for at least six months. And then from those six months, the elders of that church They will endorse you and they will say, we think that you have the character and the skills to be a pastor potentially, and we will support you in becoming a candidate to enter into this process. And so from there, as somebody gets endorsed by their elders that, that will back them up, they go to the presbytery. Now our presbytery is our regional body of the church where all the elders, the the ruling elders and the teaching elders, we come together and we do the work and the business of the church. And one of the things they do is they grill or they, they test these candidates for ministry to see if they are qualified and able to do such things. And so what happens is these, these candidates, they go to the presbytery and they give their testimony. They say, this is what Jesus has done in my heart. And then this is what Jesus is doing in my life. And so they share their call to ministry, both that internal call of the Lord and that external affirmation to be a pastor in the PCA. From there, you have to do a, an at least a year-long internship that involves marrying people and burying people and studying and leading Bible studies and preaching and all of these things. There's this very intense internship you have to do. And then after you get to that point, if you get to that point, what you do is you have to go get licensed to preach. And so as you get licensed to preach, what happens is you have to take a theology exam, a written theology exam, or you have to take a written exam 
Then you have to go to a committee of basically to, to sum up the committee. It's like, you know, the, the 10 biggest nerds in your presbytery that love theology. Like they're the ones that are typically in that committee. And then they will, you have to go to the committee and you get interviewed by them. And then you have to go to the presbytery and the whole room can ask you any question that they want to while you're standing in front of all of them. And so then you get licensed after you've completed that and you get uh, tested in the areas of uh, theology, you get tested in the area of uh, English Bible and of church government. So you get tested on those three things. And if you pass that, you become licensed to preach. Now you have to go get ordained. The next step is the ordination process. Then you have to go do another round of written exams. You have to do another round of committee interviews. And then you have to go get grilled by the presbytery once again and that is in the area of the sacraments that is in the area of church discipline and church history so if you made it through all of this you are going to be ordained in the church of the presbyterian church in america now just to give you a little example of how intense these things are my theology exam i took it was a closed book exam it took me 18 hours to do my exam and that is 18 hours of straight typing. So I did nine hours one day and then I did nine hours the next day. It is a very grueling and intense process, but it does is it tests you It makes sure that you know what you're talking about, that you understand who Jesus is and what he has done. And you have a right handling of God's word. Now, if I went through and I got my Master of Divinity, which you also have to have a bachelor's degree. Now it's a little bit different, but you have to have a bachelor's degree and you have to have a Master of Divinity, which is basically a 96 unit master's degree where you have to take Greek uh, for three semesters and Hebrew for three semesters. So I had to do that too. And so you do that. And then you memorize the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And then you go through all these tests and people grill you and prod you and poke you and all these things. The question arises, does having all of these things, does that qualify you to be an elder in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Sadly, and for the best part, is some people think that yes, it does. But first and foremost, those things do not qualify you to be an elder in the church of the Lord. It is the Lord himself that calls you to be an elder in his church. You don't get to be an elder because you pass all of these tests. You don't get to be an elder because you've done all these things. You're an elder because the Lord has called you to that position to love and to serve his church. These are tests to see if the Lord has called you, but that doesn't make you able to be a pastor or an elder in the church. So if, as you think about this, if you're called to be an elder in the church of the Lord Jesus, that means that he's called you to be a godly elder in his church. And if you go and you subvert the whole process and you just like to study and you want to and you like the sound of your own voice and you, you know, shortchange the process, then you are going to misuse the office that the Lord has called you to. And so in this, we see in the scriptures as we survey that it is the Lord himself that establishes elders. We see it throughout the Bible in in Exodus. We see that God calls Moses as basically this picture of an elder over the whole congregation of Israel. And then other elders are established from that point to help serve and to lead and protect the nation of Israel. 
In other portions of the scripture, we see that in the first century, there are elders that are established in the synagogues that do the same thing to help oversee and love and nourish the congregations. We see in the book of Ezekiel that elders are established in order to nurture the exiles. Now in Ezekiel chapter 34 that Kevin read, there is a section where the elders do not do that. There's a huge condemnation for them. We see that Paul, he tells Titus, when Titus is that church planter, he tells Titus, go establish elders in all of these cities that I told you to. Timothy is to help establish elders where the Lord has called him to as well. In Revelation, we see this beautiful picture of these 24 elders sitting on these 24 thrones and they cast their crowns before the feet of Jesus as elders who have been called by the Lord to sit in those chairs to serve him and to serve his church. And those 24 elders that have been established and called by God, they call out every day, they say, worthy are you our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. In verse 1 of our passage, Peter exhorts these elders, these fellow elders, to do something. He calls them to do something. But the beautiful thing about verse 1 here is Peter doesn't go to them and say, I am the apostle Peter. I am going to domineer over you and I'm going to tell you exactly how you should be. But Peter goes to them and says, I'm a fellow elder with you. I'm doing the same work that the Lord Jesus has called you to, to shepherd over this congregation. And so if you think about this, this is such a humble leadership move on Peter's part. He doesn't domineer over them. Rather, he leads these elders by an example. But this notion of leading by example, he didn't come up with that in his own mind. Peter is thinking back to Jesus. It says in verse 1 that he was an eyewitness to the sufferings of Christ. And so as Peter is thinking about and reminiscing on and ruminating over what Christ has done in his suffering, he is encouraging these elders to walk into a similar ministry. But how can you tell? How how do I get that from the text? Well, if you look, I'm going to read verse 1 for us again. And I'm going to show you that Peter is motivated by Christ's ministry and that Peter is motivated to show the elders the needs of the church. It says in verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter is such a good elder at eldering these elders. He's not there because they're perfect. He knows that these elders, they need guidance. He knows that they need correction. That's why he writes verses two and three. But he doesn't just break into exhorting them and telling them how they ought to improve and giving them scorecards on how they can be better at what God's called them to. But he puts before them these two realities of the suffering of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. First, Peter mentions the sufferings of Jesus as he's encouraging these elders. This he calls us to is the readers to recount that Jesus is that master who died and suffered for those servants that were trying to kill him. As Peter thinks about 
the sufferings of Christ, he is pushing the elders to remember the gospel. To say, you don't deserve to be where you are, but because of the sufferings of Christ, you can serve the church out of love and compassion. Jesus is our chief shepherd that suffered so we didn't have to. Jesus laid down his life so that we may live and acquire salvation for us. And he does this out of a heart of love. And so when Peter goes to talk to these elders, what he's doing is he's pointing them back to Jesus, the chief elder, the chief shepherd over the church to say, we are walking in the heart of Christ. We are doing what he has called us to because he loves his church and he wants you to love his church the way that he has loved his church. I have this thought that Peter probably had these words, this mind of Christ, these words of Jesus, because it says that he was an eyewitness. So I'm almost wondering, as Peter's writing this, if he's not thinking about this recounting of Jesus' words where Jesus says, if I then... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, if a servant or a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one whom he sent. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking to all of you, for I know whom I have chosen. You see, beloved, we don't have elders in the church because they are people that are solid businessmen or they are people that can run boardroom meetings or because they've been called to and they're able to memorize a lot of scripture or they're very theological or they're very humble. Rather, these elders are called by Jesus into this special ministry of suffering and service so that you as a church may understand and grow in the knowledge of Jesus yourself, that you may walk with Jesus even in your suffering, in your salvation, because he's accomplished that for us. So the elders push us to the sufferings of Christ. And they say, because of the suffering, you are now saved. But notice that Peter doesn't just align with the sufferings of Christ. He also mentions the exaltations of Christ. He mentions the, the, the glory that we will share in with Jesus. He recounts the blessing that is for all Christians who are going to partake of this rich inheritance. Because Jesus suffered hell for us, he can deliver heaven to us. He can deliver his presence to us in perfect joy. And friends, Peter writes to a suffering church and a struggling group of elders to make clear that our lives are leading toward this glorious realization. He wants this church to remember that though they are suffering, they are being led into and toward this wonderful picture of perfection with Christ. Before Peter tells any of these elders what to do, he wants them to be renewed by the ministry of Jesus. Peter wants these elders to remember and recognize the reality of the gospel. He wants these elders 
to see the blessing that will be theirs and that will be the church's. So they don't just come and start leading us wherever they want to, but they are leading us toward heaven and they are pointing us back to the sufferings of Christ that say, because he died, I don't have to any longer. Jesus endured and he was rewarded so that the church would be saved and able to glorify and enjoy him forever. Our Lord has called his elders to a similar ministry of suffering and to a similar ministry of glory, all for the sake of you. All for the sake of his beloved bride has Jesus called elders to reflect the heart of Christ, that the church would feel the compassion of Christ through this ordinary office. Godly elders are given by the chief shepherd as a grace to his people. That's what Peter wants the elders to see and to know. Again, I really, really want to reiterate to you all how practical this passage is for every Christian. Peter wrote this whole letter to the whole church, did he not? When he wrote this letter, what he could have done is write the letter, but then take out these four verses and say, hey, you guys, don't forget uh, the elders should read that little note card that I sent to them because this is for elders' eyes only. This is a private matter. But then this letter is for the whole church. But what the Lord does is when he gives Peter these words, he wants the entire church to know what his will is for the elders that he has called to shepherd over and to love and to serve these congregations. Jesus wants the church to see his heart. He wants the church to see his care through the establishing and the training of these church officers. And he does that in a very public way through Peter's writings. Now, some prime examples of this compassion of Christ and the training of the elders are found in verses 2 and 3. And we're going to go over those. You'll see that Peter's instructions to the elders basically goes something like this. This is the how-to of being a godly elder. And then on the flip side, this is the how dare you ever touch my bride in such a way if you ever shepherd my church like this. Peter gives the contrast to say, I love them, treat them this way so that they will feel my heart. And he shows the contrast to say, don't you ever, ever touch my bride in this way. This is not how she is to be treated. And so when Peter writes these words to the church, we are going to see that Jesus loves his congregation because he's called godly elders to serve and to love his congregation. So with that, this first bit of instruction, you'll see it there in verse two. It says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. This again is one of those contrasting statements that Peter loves so much. Peter shows the godly way to shepherd and he shows the evil way to shepherd. The word oversight is, it goes beyond just like a supervisor overseeing all of her, you know, people that she's over. It goes beyond just being a mere supervisor. Peter is saying, I want you as elders to take very special and particular care as you care for those people that I have given my life for. 
that I have suffered for, that I am leading into this glorious place of heaven for. He is saying, I want you to care and be very careful in your care for them. Now that does not mean that elders become the fruit police with this. That doesn't mean that every time somebody messes up or you know skips church on Sunday that you get a yellow card the next Sunday. That is not the call of the elder here. In fact, this statement, it speaks deeper to the care of the soul, and he's not just worried about behavior modification. It goes beyond just this behavior modification. These words, they actually take us back to the shadow of the Garden of Eden, if you think about it. In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve were kicked out for their rebellion, they had two sons. Two sons were immediately born to them. Those two sons were Cain and Abel. And those two sons, Cain was the elder and Abel was the younger of the two. And in this beginning section of Genesis, what we see is one of the most terrible and heart-wrenching displays of eldership, older brotherness that you have ever seen in your entire life. What we have recorded for us is Cain goes and he kills his brother. He kills his brother because his heart began to not care. His heart began to drift away from what has God called me to? God even warns him. He says, Cain, if you do not, or if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain did not heed this rebuke, this exhortation from the Lord. And what happened was sin began to creep into his heart and into his life. And he neglected the oversight to care. He's the older brother. He is to care for Abel. He is to care for the families and the generations after him as this head over the family. He was to do oversight and care, but he doesn't. Instead, he kills his brother. And here's the part that gets me the most. After he does this, God goes to Cain and he says, where is your brother Abel? Cain's response is one of the most just absolutely evil things an elder could ever say back to God. He says, I do not know what am I, my brother's keeper. Friends, that should destroy us to see an elder treat somebody in a family in this way. That should not ever be the case because the elder one, the older brother, the elder of the church is to lift up the congregation. It's to point them to Jesus and to say, be nourished on Christ, not on me, but on Jesus himself. Cain got it twisted. Cain thought that it was all about him and he was not his brother's keeper, though he should have been. The elder is to exercise this oversight that they are called to and be diligent in caring for Jesus's people, not their people. Now, I will tell you that because the elder has been called to this, that does not mean that they become your new savior. Because the elder has been called to this, that does not mean that they become your new surrogate Holy Spirit. But it is the elder's job to know and to care for the church, the flock that is among them. When Peter writes to those five regional churches, he's saying to the elders, shepherd the flock that is among you. 
Not go shepherd the flock that's in Arden or Fletcher or Black Mountain, but shepherd the flock that is among you is what he's calling them to so that they would be able to be used by God to cultivate this deeper faith. That the elders would be instruments of God, that they would be able to lead the church into a deeper repentance, a joy-filled repentance to say, that is sin, it's disgusting, all I want is Jesus instead. The elders call the community of Christ back to Christ. Now this command of Christ to his elders to exercise oversight willingly as God has called them to, this is a clear picture of what Jesus thinks about you. This is a clear picture of what he wants for his bride. He doesn't want you to be led by elders that will disparage and destroy, but he wants you to be led by elders that reflect him and that run to him and that will take the congregation back to him. The second phrase that we see here is, it says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. When we think about that phrase, the Lord Jesus inspiring Peter to write these words, what's happening is he's, it's really pulls the curtain back on our Savior's heart once again. The elders he appoint, he, they ought to know the heart of Christ and how to shepherd his flock accordingly. The elder who is called by Jesus, that elder will love what Jesus loves. Now, of course, the love of the elder is flawed. Though they are called by God to this particular role, to this particular office, that does not guarantee the perfection of the elders that are called to a congregation. The elders of this church, I know for a fact, all four of them have sinned and they will sin again. I know that we will fail you. I know that we will say the wrong thing. I know that we will not call you at the right time. I know that we will misunderstand you. I know that we will jump to conclusions when listening to you. I know that we feel pulled in a thousand different directions. And because we can't give 100% of ourselves to 100% of the people 100% of the time, that is going to frustrate you and let you down and praise God for it because that should point you back to Jesus, the chief shepherd of the church, that elder that will never fail you as a congregation. Your elders will need to ask you for forgiveness at times because we have sinned against you. We will need to come to you and confess our failures because we are not perfect. We are also following the perfect one. But even in our failures, Christ has called elders to shepherd over his people and to love them with great eagerness and care as Peter uses in that phrase there. For a truly called elder, I can attest to this of our elders, myself and Mike and Kevin and Sean. I can attest to this that we get so thrilled. We are so willing. We get so enthusiastic to see Jesus built up in you. We get so excited to see you say, this is a sin that I have not called a sin for a very long time and I'm going to repent of it and I'm going to run back to Jesus. I love Jesus a little bit more today than yesterday. I am struggling with this thing. The first thing I did was run to Jesus. 
I will tell you that an elder that cares, one that is not perfect, but one that has been called by God, will get excited and will be thrilled to see Jesus built up in you. For this truly godly elder, they are never to use the church, though, as a means to gain power or control or resources or status. That is a warning that Peter gives to us here. He says, don't do this for shameful gain, but do it eagerly. In Ezekiel chapter 22, we're we're heavy on Ezekiel this morning. Ezekiel chapter 22 has these very terrifying words for these elders that are misusing the flock of God. in, In Ezekiel, the prophet uses this image to say the elders, these shepherds that are to be caring for the sheep, What they're actually doing is they're slaughtering the sheep and they're making lamb chops out of them instead of leading them into these good pastures and these still waters. Chapter 22, this is God's word to evil elders. He says, I will scatter you among the nations and I will disperse you throughout the countries. I will consume your uncleanness out of you. I will gather you and blow on you with hot fire from my wrath. And you shall be melted in the midst of it. As silver is melted in the furnace, so you shall be melted in the midst of it. And you shall know that I am Yahweh. I have poured out my wrath upon you. That phrase, that statement, that chapter is reserved for evil elders. To be called in the name of the Lord as an elder, but to work contrary to the Lord and to ravage his bride is one of the most evil and harshly punishable things that you will find in the entire Bible. It is a wretched thing to do that. This loving heart of our chief shepherd can be seen through establishing elders and calling them to not take the flock and to use them for shameful gain, but to do so eagerly, to love what he loves. Now, this very last exhortation, it comes from verse 3. Verse 3 says this. This this is Peter's last exhortation to the elders. He says, Do not be domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The office of elder, it is to reflect the heart and the care of our Savior. Perhaps when you think about the heart of Jesus, that phrase, those words from Matthew 11 begin to fill your heart, your mind as Jesus shows us what he thinks about you. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What kind of a savior, what kind of a master would do that for people that don't deserve it? What kind of a Lord would say, I will give myself and I will show you this heart of compassion and love in order to bring you to me, though you spit in my face and try to nail me to a cross? Friends, the elders that are established in the churches are to reflect this heart of Jesus. This glorious chief shepherd who is to teach us and he calls us into deeper communion with him. It is his kindness 
that leads us into the kingdom of heaven. Not a big stick and a big whip, but rather it is the kindness of Jesus that leads us to repentance. And so as he establishes the elders, we are not to domineer over everyone. What we are to do is say, follow the example that Christ has given to us, that we may all walk to Jesus together. Elders are to be examples both in following after Jesus' example, and we are to be chief repenters among this church. We are the ones that are to quickly run to Jesus and say, I have failed, will you forgive me? We are the ones that are to set that example as well. Not just in our righteousness that God has given to us, but also in our repentance. And so my hope for us is that we would be able to, as elders, lead you closer to Jesus, not only through the good that he has given to us, but through our failures. We can point you and say, if you're looking at me to be your savior, you are going to be very disappointed. I would be disappointed too, but I will point you back to Jesus, the one who will never disappoint you. And so church, I would ask you to do this. I would ask you, this is a practical piece that I would ask you to do. I want you to pray for your elders. I want you to be concerned for the holiness of your elders. I want you to ask your elders if they have been reading their Bibles and if they've been praying for you by name and praying to the Lord. I pray that the Lord would give us opportunity to know Jesus better because he is continuing to form his elders to lead this congregation into deeper knowledge of who he is. Ask about how our families are. Ask about how you can encourage us. Tell us where there are ways that we can love better and love this church better. Help guide us to the shepherd as we guide you to that chief shepherd as well. And friends, you can know for certain that godly elders are given by the chief shepherd as a grace to his people. That is for sure from this passage. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for calling elders. I thank you for calling me as an elder. I thank you for calling Kevin as an elder. I thank you for calling Mike as an elder. I thank you for calling Sean as an elder. Lord, even now I pray for our wives. I pray that you would build up our marriages. I pray that you would build up our households to be households that are covered with your grace, that are strewn about and sown through with your word, that we would be able to cherish you and love you in our households and have that pour out into your household. Jesus, equip these elders of this church to point your congregation to you. Lord, I pray for this church as she would seek you. I pray that she would find you. I pray, Lord, that we would have our hearts attached to you and that you would be the biggest thing in our lives, that we would be conformed more into your image, that we would be able to sing your graces, that we would be able to walk in repentance and do the mission that you've called us to. Lord, bless your church for the sake of your name and for the joy of your people. Pray these things in your name. Amen.